0: Thank you, Jose Luis. And I want to thank um, Jose Luis for opening in prayer. Uh, My introduction is a little long, but I think it will get the point across um, and introduce what I have to say well. For over 15 years, British physician and psychiatrist Theodore Dalrymple, cared for the poorest of the poor in London's slums. From that experience, Dalrymple notes that the intellectuals of the 20th century, quote, sought to free our sexual relations of all social, contractual, and moral obligations and meaning, so that henceforth, only raw sexual desire itself would count in our decision-makings. He goes on, and he says these ideas were adopted both literally and wholesale in the lowest and most vulnerable social class. He illustrates the real-life results. If anyone wants to see what sexual, sexual relations are like, freed of contractual and social obligations, let him look at the chaos of the personal lives of members of the underclass. Here are abortions procured by abdominal kung fu, children who have children in numbers unknown before the advent of chemical contraception and sex education, women abandoned by the father of their child a month before or a month after delivery, insensate jealousy, the reverse of the coin of general promiscuity that results in the most hideous oppression and violence, serial stepfatherhood that leads to sexual and physical abuse of children on a mass scale, and every kind of loosening of the distinction between the sexually permissible and the impermissible. Now this was done, this was quoted uh, 20 years ago, and it was in London, doesn't have anything to do with us, right? Uh, I'm afraid not. <clears throat> um, one of the things that this, this anecdote does is it gets across the idea that ideas have consequences. Normally, ideas that are going to impact society on this level, on a, on a, on a national scale, normally take several generations. But with the internet and easy accessibility, these consequences are coming more quickly. So what I want to do is briefly share with you what what does the Bible say about these kinds of things. Then I want to share with you what the world thinks about these kinds of things, primarily through the United States. That's what I know, I know the United States. Um, And give us some ideas on how we might respond. So first, let's read John 14. If you have your Bible, you can open to John 14, 1 through 7. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. But Thomas said to him, Lord, um, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So let's consider what the author of the Gospel of John has to say about Jesus' words. And this was, this was a, a shocking kind of revelation. I, I like languages, although I'm not really good at them. Um, I work at it. Uh, I was fully expecting, when I went to look this up, I know enough Greek to, to use tools and things, I can't read it, really. Um, but I was expecting something called a subjunctive verb. Like, you know, this is what I really want you to do. This is my desire for you. Don't let your heart be troubled. Lo and behold, I find out it's command. It's what we call an imperative. Do not allow your heart to be troubled is more the sense of it. And I was like, shocked really in all the sermons I've ever heard about John 14 I've always heard about the believe God believe me and the, the conundrum there is that believe can be either a statement or a command so it could also it could could be said well you believe God believe and you believe in me so don't be afraid could be believe God. And you believe in me, of course. But it could also be said, well, you believe in God, so believe in me, will you? So there's four different ways you can take this. And I'm going to suggest that, given the context, we need to see this as two commands. First, in chapter 12, people, just the crowd, the masses, people deny Jesus. Jesus. In chapter 13, Judas is going to betray Jesus. And then later in that chapter, Jesus warned Peter that he would abandon his master and his Lord. And then in in chapter 14, his own disciples are going to challenge Jesus. Thomas, Philip, and Judas, not the Iscariot Judas, but um, Thomas, Philip, and Judas, they all challenge Jesus. And here he is saying, Look, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Trust God. Trust me. That's an order. Don't allow your heart to be troubled. Why? Well, first reason. My heavenly Father and his heavenly house has many rooms or abodes. Now, if you you read an English Bible and you're familiar with the King James, you know that it says there are many mansions. But I looked in the, the Spanish, again, I know how to use a dictionary, and the word there is more for, it would be translated abode rather than mansion. And our more modern translations, the ESV, the NIV, also say rooms. So John has amply identified the God of the Hebrews as being the same as Father. Now, you've got to understand, in Old Testament times, Jews felt that if they didn't say the name of God, they couldn't break the second commandment. They couldn't curse God in any way if they never said the name. So Jesus comes along, and what does he do he breaks all the rules, and he calls God Father. So the one thing that I, that I think we need to take away from this is that the home that we have in the Father's house is in a place where the tax man, where rust and corruption cannot touch. We're going to a place that is number one, primo, Best built you've ever seen. Why not be troubled? Number two, Jesus Himself prepares the place for you. Now I need to read this verse, verse 3, in the Southern Standard Version. I have to get a glass of water, I'm sorry. Okay. Now, I learned this dialect when I was in the Air Force. Kind of hard to understand, but I'll translate it for you. It goes like this. When I talk about y'all, what I mean is all of you all. Okay? So that's the first thing. And it could be said, all of y'all, but usually it's just y'all. Okay? So remember, all of you all if I go and prepare a place for y'all I'll come again and I'll take y'all to myself and where I am y'all may be also now that sounds like Forrest Gump well kind of is but what it's what John is is telling us is that Jesus wants us to know that he goes to prepare a place for you all and that he says I, Jesus, will come and take you all to myself that where I am you all may be also. Kind of sounds like a family affair, doesn't it? So Jesus himself is going to be our real estate manager, if you will. He is going to personally take us to the house that we'll occupy in eternity. And why else not be troubled well, you know the way. Now, if you're thinking like Thomas, you sitting in the pew or there, you there at home should be thinking, well, I don't know the way. It's not past Mars or Jupiter or, I mean, heaven's a big, big place. And when John wrote his gospel, a lot of times he gives these double meanings. It's simple enough for a child to enjoy, but it's certainly deep enough. For you and I, adults, to enjoy. That's because Jesus was talking about a place. And you can read about that in Revelation 21, verses 1 through 3. But I think Jesus was also talking about himself. And Thomas missed that part. So what Jesus says is that Thomas, I am the way. And I am the truth and I am the life. It's as if Jesus is saying, I'm the roadway, I'm the map, and I'm the destination. And no one comes to the Father except through me. There's only one way to God. There's only one way to heaven. And Jesus is it. And this is the one thing that we need to recognize about worldviews. Christianity, we are a religion, but we're also a worldview. We're also a life. And it's exclusive. It's very exclusive. And the world hates that. If you had known me, then you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Notice the flip from you know where I'm going to you know me. Which is why I say, in my mind, especially after having spent a little time meditating about this, biblical knowledge is not just facts. Now, I'm a geek, okay? I went to seminary and I I like reading theological books. I just finished one on angels and demons, you know, Old Testament cosmology, all kinds of things. But just because I have knowledge doesn't mean I'm saved, doesn't mean I know, well, I do know Jesus. I know a lot about Jesus. The question is, did Jesus know me? Does Jesus know you? And so, how can we summarize what the Bible says? We need not fear. Because God has a place for those of us who are His disciples. Because Jesus will come back for us and ensure that we receive this place for us to dwell. And we'll be able to say that we know Jesus personally. We will know Jesus personally. We will know Jesus as our brother and God as our father. So let's compare what we hear in the Bible from Jesus' own words to what the world says. And right now, to to do this, we really need to to focus on another worldview called postmodernism. Now if we were in class, I would say how many of you have heard of postmodernism? I'm kind of hoping at the 6 p.m. service I can kind of ask some questions like that. Um, but postmodernism is, and I'm quoting, it teaches that ultimate reality is inaccessible, that's the first thing. Knowledge what we know is a social construct, I'll say a little more about that in a minute, and. Third, truth claims are political power plays. And I'm setting all of this up because this forms the the foundation for, at least in my mind, why I see and why I, I imagine you see some of the things going on in the United States simply are inexplicable. It just, they're killing themselves. What this means is that God as an ultimate reality and a spiritual reality cannot be known. See, it's a psychological crutch. It just makes you feel good. Your preference is only limited by what society tolerates. Your personal experience is all that matters. And your your, your personal preference is only hedged in by the society you live in. Things like history are made up by people that proclaim to know what some culture or some social context was all about. Really, it's just an effort to keep you in line, to control you. And of course, religion is something that comes from history. Our Bible goes back 3,000 years. This is the worst culprit of them all. Well, if you look at the postmodernist view of the Bible, uh, mankind, and this is, I'm putting in very simple terms, okay, uh, but you look at the postmodernist understanding of mankind and, and cultures speak a language which has a lot to do to shape our culture. And we live in a particular culture at a definite time in history. And this is the only thing we can understand. All you can understand is the culture that, you, that we have here in Guatemala. When I go back to the States, that's the only culture that I can, can have, that I can comprehend. And that determines what is true for me. OK, if that's the case. Man, that means men and women, everybody sitting here, everybody watching this, has to read this text, and you have to get something out of it. What does it mean? And if you're a really dyed-in-the-wool postmodernist, you're going to delve into it for the secret codes and messages that you'll find in there. Most people just want to say, What does it do for me? It gives me hope, it gives me encouragement. Oh, good for you. Read your Bible. The postmodernist says, fine. But remember, there is no God. And there is no God who's going to guide you in, in understanding this. So what are we left with? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Oh, yeah? Really? Where are you going? It don't exist. Show it to me on a map. That's what the postmodernist will say. Well, there's one more thing to keep in mind. I like that thing over there because I can just set my water right here. So, there's one more thing to keep in mind as we think about this whole postmodernist worldview thing. Many of the French philosophers in the late 1900s who developed this philosophy called postmodernism, left communism, they left the French Communist Party, because it was very aggressive, and it was murderously violent. Um, one of the sources that I have, they, they kind of, they say the average uh, murders, deaths caused as a direct cause of communism is about 100 million in the previous century, in the 1900s. So they avoided the use of terms, socioeconomic terms like bourgeois and proletariat. You may have heard about that in school. Uh, today, have anybody heard of identity groups? Same thing as the Marxist or the communist oppressed and oppressor groups that were talked about in the previous generation. And today, sex is a major identity group. So I was born a white male. And being a white male is an identity group. I am the oppressor. Did you know that? By virtue of being born white, I oppress. Who do I oppress? Why, I oppress white females. They're another identity group. A common example is that women were not allowed (laughs) whom, were not allowed to vote until the 19th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution passed in 1920, a mere hundred years ago. Well, because of slavery in the United States, it turns out that a black man is more oppressed than a white woman, because they were slaves, and because women are oppressed by men, black women were oppressed the worst. And I'm not gonna go into it, but this is where something called intersectionality, just don't worry about it. It just means we have these identity groups determined by sex, and we'll talk about gender in just a second, and it means that some people are more oppressed than others. And we have to do something against those oppressors. Well, how do I jump back in my mother's womb and come out some other, some other race? How do I come out not white? I have even heard, it's not very common anymore, but I have heard that if you're Chinese, you're half white. Because you're not really black. How do you like that? When I heard that, I laughed. I'm sorry. Like, maybe I should cover it up. I should, I should laugh to myself, but... Um, and this is despite the Christian influence that in the British Empire they abolished slavery long before the United States did, did in 1833. The United States abolished slavery in 1865. No credit there, don't matter. Well, in like manner, we also have genders. Now, when I was studying language, I was told that language has gender but not sex. Now it seems like, well, people have gender and not sex. Did you know that in Facebook, you can now claim up to 56 different pronouns to describe your gender preference? Joseph, Joseph Beckholm made a stunning video where he interviewed students attending the University of Washington. He was a five, or he is a five-nine white male who wanted to know if the students would accept him as a six-foot-five Chinese woman. Any guesses on what the answers were? A resounding yes. All of this was made possible by our society taking up the ideas of postmodernism and practicing them in our daily lives. Like any worldview, this postmodern view is just as exclusive as when Jesus said, you may only come to the Father through me. Now, if you want to have a job, you have to go through the postmodernist. Now, if you want to be a star in a movie, you have to go through the postmodernist. You have to make sure you say the right pronouns. You have to claim to be, if you have power, you have to claim to help the oppressed. Well, this is why our society is becoming fractured, less cooperative, and more strident in pursuing all of its cravings and lusts. Now, the postmodernists don't say that. I kind of threw that in because my observation is that's what they're doing. They want to pursue their cravings, their lusts, uh, and they want to do it freely, and they want it to be given legitimacy. Well, let me tell you, you. You've heard a quick summary of the two. Jesus affirmed that all mankind was made in God's image, he created them male and female. Read Mark 10, verses 6 through 9. Mark 10. 6 through 9, and he's quoting Genesis 1. There's only one race, and that's the human race. There are only two sexes, male and female. Defying these ultimate basic facts is like defying gravity. Reality, or gravity in this case, does not care what your preference is. Jump off a high bridge, and there are going to be mortal consequences. Violating God's commands, violating his standards is equally ruinous to jumping off a bridge. So what are some possible things that we can do? And I'll just run through these very quickly. Uh, If you have a young family, one of the greatest things that COVID did was it forced parents to look at what their kids are being taught. Now, because of, of the internet, parents are getting involved in school boards and they're saying, You can't teach my child to hate himself. I forbid it. They're my child, not yours. Did you know that teachers' unions and the National Association of Education are insisting on critical race theory being taught kindergarten through 12th grade? They want Everyone, all the way down the educational system and embracing critical race theory. Are you going to stand up to that? Okay, your young kids are gone. Maybe you're sending children off to university. Have you read any of the courses that are offered? Have you read, have you looked for bios from some of the professors? Do you know what they're teaching? And I would suggest there are even some Christian schools that need to have this kind of fact checking done. At least your student needs to know what they're stepping into. You can buy one stock in a company. I just found this out not too long ago. You can buy one stock in a company and you can have a say in their their vote, their annual meeting, and the vote of how they're gonna conduct business. You can vote to get rid of people that are forcing human resources to teach and enforce critical race theory. You can look online for political action groups. I've taught history for five years and had no idea you could do that. Find one that, that suits your interest, support it or join it and get involved. Communicate with your political representative. They're your representative. You get a voice, okay? And if you're really brave, this is something that I'm a proponent of, it's difficult. But find someone that genuinely thinks critical race theory is good for the family and society. Talk to them. Why do they believe what they believe? Listen to them. Earn the right to share with them a better way. Now, we know that Jesus is the better way. But they're not hearing anything you say so long as you act like them and tell them, you're all wrong. No, no, no. You're all wrong. Not going to work. Not going to work. So, look for opportunities to be an ambassador for Christ. Share the message of forgiveness that is quickly being lost in our society, in our culture. Offer the message of forgiveness by the Christ who is the way The truth and the life and earn the right to share why you think there is a better way. His name is Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, a time that we can look at your word. And I just pray that we might take a stand for Jesus, that we might take a stand for your word. And I pray that you would give us opportunities to do that, even if it means our jobs, our reputation, Help us, Lord. Give us your spirit in larger measure to meet the challenges of our day. And we thank you for this in Christ's name. Amen.